0: morning New Life Church. Morning to our guests and our visitors that are here today. We warmly welcome you um, to worship with us today. Today we continue our sermon series on the seven last words of Jesus on the cross. Uh, We have now come to our fifth um, sermon in this sermon series and the fifth phrase that we're going to look at today is the shortest of all the phrases and one word in the Greek. And it's two words in English, I thirst. So Matthew did not record this statement, the book of Matthew, it's not there. The Gospel of Luke makes no mention of this statement. The Gospel of Mark is silent about this statement. But John, the Gospel of John, has recorded it. And what is so interesting to me about this is that John spent more time than any other Gospel writer proclaiming, the deity of Jesus. John, in writing his gospel, wanted to show Jesus and God are the same. Remember how John starts off his gospel in John chapter 1, verse 1. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And yet, the Holy Spirit, by divine inspiration, had John record this phrase, I thirst. And when you think of God, that is not. Something I would ever expect to hear come from the mouth of God. I thirst. To thirst is a very human quality. It's not a divine quality. So why the phrase, I thirst? And that is what we're planning to find out today. So turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 19. Uh, Today we're going to read from verse 23 to verse 29. Please stand with me as we read these verses out of respect to God's word. John chapter 19, starting in verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, Behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Father, we pray today, please, that you would help us as we study your word, as we meditate on your word. Father, we pray that you would give us a greater love for the scriptures, but also a greater love for your son, Jesus, as we learn what he has done for us, Lord. Please give us understanding today, not just so that we can gain head knowledge, but Lord, so that we can live lives transformed by the power of the gospel reflecting to a world that needs the gospel of your goodness and your grace so we pray for your help today lord thank you lord for being with us this week but as we sit and meditate on your word today we pray lord that you would draw near to us lord and help us to confess the sins that may be keeping us from fellowshipping with you today but also encourage those that need to be encouraged this morning we ask for your help in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So many of you know recently I went into hospital for surgery. I had to fast for a, few, for a day before, and, and when I woke up after the surgery, I was connected to an IV that was dripping fluids into my body. And then for two weeks after the surgery, I wasn't allowed to eat anything solid. I was only allowed liquids. And I asked the doctor, I said, how can I go without eating for so long? That was my big concern. And he assured me that the most demanding need for the human body, other than oxygen, of course, is water. He told me that a person can live for several weeks without food, but would die in feverish agony in only a few days without water. And this is because fluid is absolutely essential for the human body to function. Now, of all the incredible pains that come with crucifixion, I think thirst was by far the most agonizing As the victims hung there in the tropical sun, their mouths and their throats cried out for water. And their lips cracked and bled and their eyes became glazed and their tongues swelled in their mouths and probably saliva hung like drying glue in their throats. And their thirst was horrible. And remember in Jesus' case, his thirst had been compounded. It had been a long time since he had last tasted liquid Perhaps as many as 18 hours when the night before he had shared the Passover with his disciples. And during that time, he had endured unspeakable suffering and trials. The Bible tells us that in the Garden of Gethsemane, his, his agony had caused him to sweat blood, which of course would have taken precious fluids from his body. And then for long, fatiguing hours, he had been forced to stand on his feet as all through the night and morning, he was led to be interrogated by Ananias, then to stand at trial before Caiaphas, then before Pilate, and then Herod, and then back again to Pilate. And after that, Jesus had been cruelly beaten by the Roman soldiers. A crown of thorns had been thrust on his head. And then with blood running down his face and his lacerated back fluids literally pouring from his body, he was, he was forced to carry this heavy wooden crossbeam under the, the burning heat of the sun. And it's no wonder that on the way to Golgotha, Jesus fell under the, the load, exhausted. And then for six agonizing hours, our Lord hung on that Cruel Roman cross as the wounds in his hands and feet and back and head continue to bleed drop by drop, increasing his dehydration such that his throat must have felt like it was, was literally on fire. Well, it's understandable then that Jesus uttered these words, isn't it? I thirst. I mean, how could he not thirst after going through all that he had gone through? John says that in response to Jesus' statement, someone, perhaps one of the soldiers, took a sponge and soaked it in a jar of sour wine and put it on a stick and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Now, as I said, this fifth saying is packed with truth, but this morning I want to point out just three important truths, three important facts that Jesus conveyed with this short sentence. And the first one is, Jesus is saying, I am who I say I am. My first point this morning is Jesus knew. Jesus knew. Specifically, what I'm referring to is He knew He was the long-awaited Messiah of God. Look back to the words prior to this fifth statement from the cross, and you'll see what I mean in verse 28. Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, and so at the so that the scripture would be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Jesus, knowing. Now the word we translate as knowing does not mean to know by experience or to come to know by by um, some research or some study. It means to know intuitively, to have the facts already logged within one's memory and then to be able to call them instantly to To mind. So, this text is saying that that Jesus instantly, intuitively, he knew something. What was it that he knew? Well, the scriptures tell us he knew that all the Old Testament prophecies up until that point had been fulfilled. Everything that was supposed to happen had happened, everything had been accomplished. Everything except for one thing, and that was his expression of thirst. Now, this was a lot to know because there was 332 Old Testament prophecies that described the Messiah. And in his life and death, Jesus had fulfilled all of these prophecies. And the chances of one man fulfilling all of these prophecies in his life, is, is one in 84 followed by 97 zeros. So a number so big that, that we can't even imagine it or pronounce it. In other words, there is, there is no room for doubt that Jesus was who he said he was, the Messiah, the Christ. And as I said, there were 332 Old Testament prophecies, and here they are. Don't worry, I won't give you all 332. Here's just a few, okay? Zechariah 11 verse 12, he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, which was fulfilled. Psalm 41 verse 9, he will be betrayed by a friend that was fulfilled. Psalm 31 verse 11, he will be deserted and denied by his disciples. Psalm 22 verse 18, soldiers will gamble for his clothes, fulfilled. Psalm 35 verse 1, He will be accused by false witnesses. Fulfilled. Isaiah 53 verse 4 and 5. He will be humiliated, wounded, and bruised. Fulfilled. Isaiah 53 verse 7. He will stand silent before his accusers. Fulfilled. Psalm 22, 16. His hands and his feet will be pierced. Fulfilled. And it goes on and it goes on. And as Jesus hung there, Jesus knew He innately knew that before he died, there was one more prophecy that needed to be fulfilled. One more thing that needed to be accomplished. Think of it. In spite of all that he had been through, his omniscience enabled him to know that all those hundreds of prophecies and covenants had had been fulfilled. All that except for one. Except for one. Now, other men were often driven insane by the the agonies of the, the cross, and their minds ceased to function properly, but not Jesus. He wasn't just another man. He was who He said He was. Jesus was the Messiah. He was God in the flesh. And I think this knowledge is a verification of this fact, for only God can know that that in the midst of all that pain, there was one prophecy that still needed to be fulfilled. The one where Jesus spoke the words, I thirst. And this particular prophecy that Jesus was thinking of when he said this was Psalm 69. We read it this earlier on. It says, they also gave me gall for my food and for my thirst. They gave me vinegar to drink. You see, on that day, they offered Christ something to drink twice, not just once. Before he was nailed to the cross, he was, he was offered wine that was mixed with, with gall. And this, this mixture had a, had a narcotic effect, something to, to dull the, the pain that he would experience. And apparently, wine made the bitterness of this, this gall uh, more palatable. And they offered Jesus this mixture. Really to, to drug him and to take away the, this edge of the pain, this raw edge of this pain before they they pounded the nails through his hands and and his feet. But as soon as he tasted it, he realized what it contained, and Jesus refused to to drink that. And then the second the second drink that they offered him was a response to the statement that, that he has made I thirst. This time they gave him sour wine, which means in the Old Testament they in the Old Testament they called vinegar. It was it was the cheapest drink available. Nobody wanted it, of course. Nobody was willing to pay for it, and it was it was very common. It was as common as as water in, in our day. Sometimes it was it was um, safer to drink than the water that was available at the time. But a jar of it sat at the, the crucifixion site. For the, for the soldiers who were thirsty, who had been working the whole day, it was for them to drink, but it was also for them to give to their, their victims. Now, it wasn't that they shared this vinegar with the victims to be compassionate. You see, one of the cruel purposes of crucifixion was to provide a prolonged, humiliating death. So they had the sour wine available for sadistic reasons. Giving it to the victims was a way to to make them linger longer in their misery, not not to help them. And when they offered this vinegar to Jesus, Psalm 69's prophetic words were fulfilled. Again, further indisputable proof that Jesus was who He said He was, the long-awaited Messiah. Now, why in His final moments Was Jesus determined to fulfill this prophecy? And For that matter, why did God go to the trouble of putting in the Bible this prophecy? Well, I think it's because he knew that we would doubt. He knew we would question one Bible commentator. He says, why did Jesus proclaim his thirst from the cross? And then he answers the question, to lay just one more plank on a sturdy bridge over which a doubter could walk, since he did not want our heads to keep his love from our hearts, Jesus used his final moments to offer further proof that he was the Messiah. Jesus did not say, I am thirsty, to, to quench his, his physical thirst. He cried out so that this scripture might be fulfilled, as the scriptures tell us right here in our passage. So that all the promises down through the centuries would be kept. So we could know, as Jesus himself knew, that he is the Christ. So that it would be that much easier for us to trust him and put our faith in him. Secondly, with these words, Jesus was also saying, I understand. Jesus understood. You see, as I just said, Jesus was and is the omniscient God who knows all things, including the hundreds of prophecies concerning the Messiah. But He was also a man at the same time, wasn't He? A man who endured all that we endure in this life and more. As God, He could say, like he did in John eight fifty-eight, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. But as a man, he says these words. I thirst. In John chapter 19. Jesus was not a, a, a deified man, nor was he a humanized God. He was the God-man. Fully God and fully human, all at the same time. Forever God and now forever man. And we see several instances of this great truth illustrated in the Gospels. For example, as a human being, Jesus was tired, and as a result, He would would sleep. Remember? In In the hull of the ship. But as God moments later, He was still able to calm the sea and calm the wind in that storm. As a man, Jesus was brokenhearted, and he wept at the tomb of Lazarus. But as God, moments later, he raised Lazarus from the dead. As a man, he suffered a horrible death on the cross. But as God, he was bodily and victoriously raised from the dead himself. And you know, this fact that Jesus was God and man is something that that Christians have struggled with and still struggle with today. In fact, I think it's interesting to note that while many people who, who tend to embrace a liberal viewpoint in life find it difficult to believe that Jesus was God, many conservative Christians struggle to accept his complete humanity. But it is so important that we do accept it. And this text helps us in this, for it reminds us that Jesus was not only God, he was also man. He suffered and he thirsted just as we do. And this text and hundreds of others that describe Jesus' humanness tell us that Jesus understood what we go through in life. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be thirsty. And because he does, we can come to him. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 tells us we can boldly approach His throne of grace because we know that He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He knows what we are going through as human beings. I think one reason Jesus made it a point of enduring this pain and struggle of a human life is because He knew that we would have to do the same. He knew we would be weary. He knew we would be disturbed. He knew that we would be angry. He knew we would be tired and sleepy and grief-stricken and hungry. He knew we would face pain, if not the pain of of the body, the pain of the soul, of losing a loved one. Too sharp for any drug to, to deaden which is why he turned down that, that gall wine. He also knew that you and I would face thirst, if not a thirst for water, at least a thirst for truth. And the truth we glean from the image of a thirsty Christ is this. Jesus understands. He knows. You see, Jesus hurt in every way that that we can hurt he hurt even more he pioneered our salvation through the same world that that you and i face daily so we can know that when we go to our savior in prayer and we lay our petitions before him we are going to the one whose heart beats with us now think about it for a moment If we thought that he didn't understand, would we be as likely to go to him? I don't think so. I mean, isn't it true that a lack of understanding keeps us from others? Well, let's say you were worried about financial problems and you needed guidance from a sympathetic friend. Would you go to the son or the daughter of a millionaire? Remember, you're asking for guidance, okay? You're not asking for a handout. Would you approach someone who inherited a a fortune that day and was born into wealth and didn't really have any idea of how to manage money, or would you go to somebody who who is poorer and has managed their money well so that they're not in debt? Would go to somebody who had troubles, somebody who could relate to our troubles. No matter what discouragement that we face, we need to understand that Jesus has been there. He knows what it's like. He can relate to how you are feeling. And if His life on earth doesn't convince you, then His death on the cross should convince you. I mean, if you are ever in physical pain, then remember His burning thirst that day. If you have ever feel put down, if your, your dignity is assaulted in any way, then remember what Jesus went through on that cross. Remember, Jesus was crucified, humiliated. And have you ever felt alone in the darkness of life? Jesus experienced all of that on the cross when He was forsaken by the Father on the darkest day of all time. This fifth statement reminds us then that Jesus understands what you and I are going through. And because He does, He doesn't patronize us, or He doesn't look down at us, or He doesn't scoff at our needs. As the Bible says, when we go to Him for help, He generously requests Response to all without finding fault. We see that in James chapter 1, verse 5. With those three words, with those two words, Jesus was telling us an amazing, comforting fact. I understand. I'm God in the flesh. I know what you are going through. Third lesson that we learn from these words. I think. The truth that Jesus was reminding us in the statement is that God's will must always come first. God's will must always come first. Now make this conclusion because of when Jesus uttered His fifth statement. Look at verse 28. It tells us, after this, after this, well, after what? Well, remember, all That We have studied up to this point, and you'll see that Jesus expressed his thirst only after he had spoken the words of forgiveness to his crucifiers, only after he had lovingly extended his grace to the repentant thief, and only after he had made provision for his mother, and only after he had borne the sins of mankind on his body and experienced the The dark forsakenness from his father. Jesus waited until after this. Or until all these things had been accomplished to say, I thirst. When in fact, the Lord had been thirsty from the very beginning. I mean, all these trials and the crucifixion together have have lasted more than 12 hours up to this point. Remember, Jesus has been beaten, he's been scourged, he's been spit upon, he's been mocked, he's been humiliated, he's been stripped of his clothes, and he's been nailed to a cross. And throughout all of this, no one has offered him one moment of rest or relief. And yet, not until the very end of this ordeal, the very end of his life did he ask for even the smallest physical comfort and this is typical of jesus because throughout his life our savior wanted to prioritize the will of god first and foremost above his comforts above his own needs he wanted to prioritize the will of his father let me ask you this as we bring this to a close this morning by way of application I wonder is that true of your life can you say that this morning do you prioritize the will of God in your life do the major things the eternal things I'm talking about the things of God do they always receive top priority in your life or do you own selfish needs tend to come first before, before God, before the people of God. You know, ours is a culture that is marked by a confused sense of, of values. Our culture is marked by selfishness, a self-love. All you need to do is go into social media and, and see how people are loving themselves. And our priorities are all mixed up, aren't they? And because they are, we tend to value, we tend to treasure the wrong things. We tend to treasure the things of this world. William Temple, the late Archbishop of Canterbury, he, he understood this even so many years ago, and he responded by comparing our world to a store window in which some mischievous person had crept into the window during the night and he had switched the the price tags. So the cheap things would have the high prices on and the the really precious things had had low prices on. I think that's an accurate comparison, isn't it? We value things that that we shouldn't be valuing. We spend most of our time and our money on relatively unimportant things, things that don't last. Because we do the truly important things, the things of God, the things that really matter, often get ignored, isn't it? You know, sitting with Shine yesterday in the hospital, you know, she didn't realize that her sister was going to die the day before. And thank the Lord she was there with her sister when she died but sitting there with her she said to me death is a real thing isn't it pastor it's a real thing i think we get so caught up in the things of the world that we forget that we all are going to die and we forget to live our lives for god's glory we forget to make sure to prioritize his will because today may be the day that we die Thinking this fifth cry from the cross, Jesus challenged us not to get caught up with the things that are not important. The example that He set that day and every day of His life should remind us, should motivate us to live for God's glory, to make sure His will is done rather than our own. Should motivate us who claim to be his disciples to always put God's will before our own. In John chapter 4, verse 14, the scriptures tell us whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus satisfies. These thirsts of life. By taking our sin on Himself, Jesus made it possible for our thirst for God to be satisfied. In short, He he thirsted so that we wouldn't have to. And I know I keep saying that, but it's important that we realize that. He went to the cross so that we wouldn't have to, He went through that pain. And that suffering and that punishment, so that we wouldn't have to. He took on our sin and paid for our sin, so that we wouldn't have to. He is our perfect substitute. And His sacrifice has been accepted by the Holy God who waits for us to believe and put our faith in what Jesus has done for us. So this morning, I ask you, are you thirsty? You may have all this, all this world's needs at your fingertips. You may have all the comforts that this world offers. But perhaps you're still not satisfied. Or you're still thirsty. Is something missing? Or could it be that, that that something is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And this morning as we, as we respond with this last song, Let me challenge you this morning to come to Jesus and to drink from his living water. Psalm 107 says, only the Lord satisfies the thirsty. If you were to die today and you were to stand before our living holy God, would he say to you, welcome into my presence? Or would he say, depart from me? I know you're not. Only you can answer that question faithfully this morning and honestly. Let's pray this morning and ask the Lord to open our eyes. Father, we thank you for what your son Jesus has done for us on the cross of Calvary. Thank you, Lord, for his salvation, which is so rich and free. Thank you, Lord, that this world is not our home. Thank you, Lord, that this world is not our treasure. Thank you, Lord, that we can look forward to heaven one day. Those who have put their faith in you. Those who trust you for their eternal salvation. Lord, I pray today, Lord, that for those who are believers, may the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. May we live for you, Lord, like you died for us, unashamed. But Lord, for those who are not sure, for those who do not know, if they were to die today, whether they would go to heaven or hell, I pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes and open their hearts to the truth of the gospel this morning, that they would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of their sins, and by faith receive this gift of life that you promise all who do. For your glory, Lord, we pray, and for our joy we ask in Jesus' name.